This is the Cricket Sadist Hour, and if you're watching this podcast in black and white, mid-off is the one next to Deep Square Leg. That is the name of the show. I am Jared Kimber. Alongside me is the only all-rounder that England have not picked of recent times. It's Andy Zaltzman. Yeah, I take that as a, a personal affront. I've put, I've put the numbers up. You've put I, numbers up? <laughs> I averaged over 100 last year, albeit in two games, and thanks to some truly... Um, Neanderthal fielding. Actually, the Neanderthals probably would have been quite good fielders. And I was bowler of the day in uh, the Sick Children's Trust Charity Six Aside Day at the HAC in London last September, purely by virtue of bowling with both arms. Also, usually that's not an award, bowler of the day, so it does sound like they made it up to make you feel better. Well, I walked away with... Were a you bottle. one of the sick children? I, I walked away with a bottle of rum. That's all I know. Uh, how do you fare when you face left-arm bowlers? When I face left-arm bowlers, uh, well, I mean, at the elite level of sport that I operate at, Jared, that's uh, just a ball, isn't it? It's just a ball in physics. It, it doesn't matter what arm it comes at you, you're probably not going to hit it. I did play my first game of the, this summer uh, last weekend, and I faced, for the first time, I think, in my life, the opening bowler, bowling, I'm left-handed batsman, who's bowling left arm around the wicket. I'm not sure I'd ever face left arm round as a left left-hander. These are sort of insights you get on the Cricket Sadist Hour? Yeah, I mean, that's the Saturday-friendly... It was, I think, 7th 11, technically, <laughs> Streatham and Marlborough Club. So uh, if I, I had a similar conversation with, with someone in a bar recently, in the last, last year or so, uh, Graham Swan, a man of similar talent to yourself, yeah. who, I so uh, quite late at night, I said, was 13, 14 Ashes, you're facing Mitchell Johnson. Was that just the scariest thing that had ever happened? Was that the quickest bowling? And he's like, it wasn't the quickest bowling. I faced Shoah Bakhtar one day. I think he was batting with Mike Hussey, and Mike Hussey had done something to annoy Shoah Bakhtar, which then went on to annoy Graham Swan. <laughs> so he'd faced faster bowling. And I said, then what, what was it? Explain to me why Mitchell Johnson had this effect. And he was saying that if you think about this, I don't know how I'm going to explain this on a podcast, but hopefully I'll be able to, to get it over. If you think about this, if, if you're a right-handed batsman and you're used to facing right arm quick bowling essentially you sway away or you get inside the ball these are the two basic sort of movements that you do other than a duck or trying to play it when you're facing a left arm bowler swaying away doesn't really um, work as well because of the angle and trying to get inside it would be quite hard as well yet again because of the angle so the problem was not so much that Mitchell Johnson was the fastest bowler they'd faced they'd faced people as fast it was that he bowled really fast at an angle that they couldn't get away from and they didn't know how to handle and he did it consistently obviously over that whole summer that it was that conversation that really made me think about how much different facing top level left arm quick bowling is than anything else and the other one that i was thinking about which um i'm sure all english fans think about to this day <laughs> of a certain vintage anyway was was it macram to alan lamb and chris lewis could you take us through those well that was yeah, the World Cup final of 1992, um, and uh, Pakistan made 249 in their 50 overs, which sounds like basically Under eight, par. Eight, eight all outs by modern standards. But in those days, that was a pretty tidy score. Um, England were going okay. They were 140 odd for four, uh, and they needed about a run of ball, I think, in the last sort of 15, 16 overs. And Wazim Akram, what well, he, he bowled a, a Yorker to Fairbrother, the 
just dug out. And then uh, Lamb was on strike, had made about 30. And he bowled a ball that moved in, I don't know how many different directions, <laughs> but enough. I mean, it seemed to sort of swerve in and then swerve away at high speed from around the wicket to a right-hander. It's hard to tell because we were filming all this on Betacam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's largely just from the painting done by the um, official World Cup artist at the time. And it hit the top of Lamb's off thumb. And he had a look on his face as if he'd been cheated by physics as he walked off. It's, I remember as a kid of like this incredible ball that pitched on leg and took off, almost like a Shane Warne delivery. But when you look at it now, it doesn't seem to move that much. But it does tell you how rare it was for a left-arm bowler to to exist in that era and to come around the wicket you only need to move it a little bit away yes. from the bat well, I think it was the fact that it it did look like it moved in a bit and mm. then away a bit and that, I think that it was that so Lamb got in completely the wrong position having reacted I mean that's his big mistake was reacting quickly whereas <laughs> you know if you react you if he'd reacted more slowly it would have been fine so next ball Chris Lewis next ball uh, Chris Lewis uh the great all-rounder, um, who would clearly have won the game with a few mighty blows of his bat, uh, came in. And uh, he got a vicious in-swinger that started wide and then hooped in and um, cleaned him up fairly comprehensively. Sadly for him, not the worst thing that ever not the worst uh, would happen to him in his life. No. Um, but it's a savage delivery. It was a savage delivery. And, and you know, this 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 disappointing thing that happened in his life was not, not his own fault, really. This was... This was just being more the background. Uh, yeah. And the reason that sort of brought up those two is because Mitchell Johnson and Wazamakram are sort of the, have, have shown, Wazamakram sort of inspired left arm bowling in, in many ways. And, and Mitchell Johnson maybe took it to another level when he had the magic summer, um, against both England and South Africa. Left arm bowling has just got really good and it never used to be good. In fact, before 1992, no one really even thought about left arm seam bowling. Uh, yeah, ever. No, not, ever. That's... If you bring up Mike Whitney, I'm going to punch you in the yeah. face. Mike Whitney is what arguably the most influential cricketer that's ever lived. Um, when he was called out of... Uh, he was playing club... Was in county second eleven cricket? It and, was uh, nothing Played good. the Old Trafford Test in 1981. And if he'd caught both of them, then who knows what would have happened to the rest of the history of humanity. We certainly wouldn't have voted for Brexit. That is absolutely guaranteed. There have been some great left-arm bowlers, particularly uh, Alan Davison, who we'll probably talk about later on. Um, through the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, but when Wazim Akram came on the scene, they uh, suddenly, and I don't know wh- quite why this was the case, uh, left arms started being used a lot more, and they're now being used uh, more in test cricket than at any point in... Um, they're now being used more in test cricket than they ever were in the history of humanity. In From the First World War up until the day before Wazim Akram made his test match debut... Um, ten percent of uh, only ten percent of all fast fast balls in Test cricket were left arm. So ninety percent right arm, ten percent left arm. And I've ignored for these stats, Jared. Those bowlers categorised on uh, Crick Info's Stats Guru as mixed stroke or, unknown, or the one bowler who had no arms. No arm. Uh, Tom Kendall, who's a left arm bowler. Uh, who took uh, seven for in the uh, inaugural Test match, bowled Australia to victory in uh, Melbourne in uh, eighteen seventy. As we all remember, you were there. We all, we all remember tremendously well. Um, and uh, so ten percent up until Wasim, and then since then, uh, since then uh, it's up to fourteen point four percent. So that's you know nearly fifty percent more left arm than they used to be as a proportion of all the balls of uh, 
of fast bowling. And the wickets, similarly, uh, 9.4% of all pace wickets in that First World War to Wazimak Grand period were by uh, left-arm pacers. And uh, since him, uh, since he began his test career, 14.3%. So it's led to a, a significant increase. I mean, uh, since Wazimak Grand, it's been a continued rise for left-arm pace bowlers in test cricket. And I think you all know what this means. Welcome to the podcast of Mike Whitney. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to the Cricket Sadist Hour. I am the late king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. But you probably know me better as EHN Presley, Gloucestershire 2nd 11, 1965 to 66. Uh-huh. Andy, you're of a certain vintage. So I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> Have you heard of Richard Colling or Collinge? Collinge, I have I have heard of Richard Collinge. I don't know if it's pronounced Collinge because it does have an e on the end, which suggests it's a soft g, or Colling. I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone say it out loud. Which is my point to yeah. a certain degree here that Richard, we're gonna go, let's go with Colling, <laughs> Collinge. I'm pretty sure it's Collinge. Okay, let's go with Collinge. Yeah. <laughs> let's go with something. So Richard Collinge was a tall left arm bowler from New Zealand. He he retired with three pretty good records. Uh, the most test wickets for New Zealand. Someone came along and beat that. Can't remember who. Um, the highest score for a number 11 batsman at the time, 68 not out, which also came in the world record last wicket stand of 151. So that's three decent records. Um, unfortunately, as as you may have guessed, if you follow New Zealand cricket or cricket at all, uh, Richard Hadley came along and no one ever cared or has mentioned the name Richard Collinge since, um, sadly. Yeah, but where this is a sort of podcast where Richard Collinge is a god. <laughs> Yeah, well, he 116 wickets averaged 29, which is pretty tight. That was literally my next line. Um, so I, dis- I, d- I demand respect for this man who I'd never really thought of before and it only occasionally come up in my research at all. So th- here's why I'm so interested in Richard Collinge. Up until January, uh, 1st of January 1985, Richard Collinge had taken 74% of his entire country's left arm seam wickets. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I, you know, that we need a bell. Very strong. When we come up. So I, I think why I've mentioned Richard Collinge, and we've already talked about it a little bit in the intro, is is how much um, left-arm seam bowling just kind of didn't exist. So pre-World War II, 14 bowlers had taken 100 test wickets. Not one of them was a left-arm seamer. Four of them were left-arm orthodox. There were 49 bowlers who'd taken 50 test wickets, and three were left-arm seamers. So as of January 1985, of the top 50 test wicket takers in in cricket, there was one left-arm seamer, Alan Davidson, who took 186 wickets at 20. There were six left-arm orthodox. And of those with over 100 wickets, um, there were 13 left-arm orthodox and four quicks. Alan Davidson, Richard Collinge, Trevor Goddard, and um, Garvery. Uh, sorry, what, what's... Carson uh, Garvery. Carson Garvery. Carson um, Sobers. Hey, plus. Well, no, no, no. Sobers has to be an asterisk. Yeah. We don't know how many wickets Sobers took of what variety. I mean, he got some just by putting the ball in his mouth and gobbing it down the pitch with incredible spins on it. Whatever took his fancy. So Davidson, Goddard, Garvery and Sobers of the, so of the five bowlers that we probably know took over a hundred test wickets with left arm seam, four of them are all rounders. And weren't picked for their frontline skill, even if, uh, purely for their frontline skill, which is even more interesting to me. So Richard Collinge was the best specialist left arm bowler up until Wazim Akram. 
I don't know what that says about anything. Um, for those who don't know about Alan Davidson, he was an incredible um, player. I'm just going to focus on one test for Alan Davidson because I think this kind of explains it. The Tide test against um, the West Indies at the Gabba. He took five for 135 and then went out and made 44. He then took six for 87 and he then uh, went on to uh, bat in the chase. They were 57 for five when he came in. They were chasing 232. And he made 80 and he was run out in the second last over trying to, I think, hog the strike um, uh, in order to win the game. Incredible player you know i've in my mind i've just given him a three-year um multi-billion dollar contract for the ipl he would shift units in the ipl interestingly in his first 11 tests he didn't play in a single winning team and he didn't take more than two wickets in an innings and then in his remaining 33 tests he took 171 wickets at an average of 19 which uh, puts him in the top 10 Best thirty-three test streaks by any bowler. Wait, and what pick thirty-three? Is that what you thirty-three? Yeah. What Which hasn't quite taken off, I other than like you to, mentioning yeah, it a lot. Yeah, I like to mention that. Um, so basically, uh, if you haven't seen um, Davidson, there's some good footage of him on YouTube. He swung the ball like unlike any person I've ever seen. Like it literally went in obscene. Uh, so it was a macro and swung it late and violently. Davidson would swing it early, but it looked like a computer game. It would like start swinging out of his hand and this just curve around to the batsman. So you've got, you've got Davidson, you've got Trevor Goddard, who was an incredible all-rounder. I think he averaged, um, 30 odd with the bat and, um, 26 with the ball. 26 with the ball. And he had an economy rate of 1.64 as a bowler, which is something about him as a bowler. He was sort of medium pace, um, steady. Yeah. Uh, and also something about the era of cricket in which he played and the team in whom he played. That he, he's played from the mid-50s, uh, 1955 up until uh, 1970. He played uh, a couple of games in South Africa's last series before their, their apartheid ban. Um, and the late 50s in particular had a lot of the dullest cricket. And the, maybe not the dullest, but the slowest cricket. The dullest played. cricket. Yeah. I think you were right the first and, time. England, South Africa in, I think it was 56, 7... Had a, a, just some of the most spectacularly slow scoring that has ever been inflicted on cricket. So at this point, we have Goddard, Sobers, Davidson, three of the best all rounders of all time, all happen to be left arm bowlers. We had Carson Garvey, who, you know, is the Richard Colleen, Colleen, I've forgotten it already, <laughs> of, of India. Um, and up until, was it, uh, 1st of January 1985. Pakistan had taken 66 left-arm seam wickets in their history. Azam Hafiz, who played less uh, for less than two years, took 77% of Pakistan's seam wicket bowling. All I'm saying is, up until Wazim Akram, we basically didn't have left-arm seam bowling. Well, that's not strictly true. Uh, <laughs> on on pa- uh, Pakistan, uh, so from the uh, the start of their test existence in the early 1950s up until Wazim Akram... Um, only 6.4% of their seamers' wickets were by left armers, and from Wazim Akram to the present day, when they still have a barrage of left armers, 32%. So it is com- almost completely true. Uh, yeah, particularly from a Pakistan point of view. What, what's interesting is there were a number of left arm seamers who had brief but very effective careers. Um, like Azam Hafiz? Uh, yeah, I'm going back further through, uh, through cricket. So you had, uh, for England, Frank Foster, in the uh, eleven twelve Ashes in Australia, um, when he bowled with uh, with SF Barnes, Foster took thirty two wickets, averaged twenty one. SF Barnes, reputed 
greatest fast, greatest one of the greatest bowlers of all time. Thirty four wickets average, twenty two, and Foster also got uh, again. He was an all round. He, he batted five, five, six, and seven in that series. Got over two hundred runs, average, uh, average over thirty. Uh, we had uh, Witty, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Witty for Australia had one massive series against South Africa, um, and he took. Uh, we all did. Uh, <laughs> he took uh, uh, a load of wickets for not very many. Um, England had uh, George Hurst. Who was a left arm swing bowler who played um, around the turn of the nineteenth uh, to twentieth century and was effective in England, um, average twenty four in England, average forty four in Australia, setting a pattern for English swing bowlers that has been nobly maintained, pretty much up to the present day. Alf Hall for South Africa played very few Test matches, largely due to business commitments, according to his Crick Info profile, but he took. Uh, 27 wickets at 18 in four tests against England in 1922-23. So there were bowlers who had brief flowerings, but the for Mike, various reasons... The Mike Whitney's of their day. <laughs> for various reasons, including significantly the First World War, um, they didn't always have uh, long careers. In the 1910s, as a <laughs> brief uh, decade, uh, left armers averaged 14% better than right armers, this is amongst seamers. Only, and clearly that was a sign of impending apocalypse and the world treated itself the biggest ever conflagration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, what we're saying to a certain degree is that there are two eras of left-arm bowling. There's pre-Wasim and there's post-Wasim. Yes, but interestingly, Jared, if you're um, interested by the kind of things we're interested in, <laughs> which, if anyone's still listening to this podcast, we can assume that they are, uh, left-arm was left-arm paces average better than right arm paces in every decade from the 1910s up to and including the 1950s, even though they weren't bowling so much. So maybe you had to be very good to get in the team as a left armer. Uh, then right arm was average better in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, then it was pretty close in the 90s and 2000s. In the uh, 2010s, left armers are averaging uh, 3% better than right arm pace bowlers. So not a huge difference, but again, it sort of shows that we are in a golden age of left arm pace. The Neil, the age of Wagner. And as we look down the scorecard, uh, we see the cricket sadist hour. Caught uh, Zaltzman, Bold Kimber, Nort. Uh, another disappointing effort. So we'll have a, a bit of a closer look at, uh, at Wazzy Macram and just uh, just how good he was, uh, particularly in his his pomp years, Jared. Got to use the word pomp in a cricket podcast. Um, 1990 to 1995 in tests, 38 hey. tests. Have you got the stats on his hair in that time? Uh, his hair was... I think it defies statistics. Was, <laughs> let's just say it was magnificent. But do you know my my career highlight was writing a piece so good that was a Macram thanked his hair sponsor at the, um, on Twitter because of my piece. But anyway, continue. Um, he played thirty eight tests in those six years. Took one hundred and ninety five wickets, averaged nineteen point eight, which is pretty get good. out of here. Uh, and also one hundred and sixty five wickets in uh, one hundred and seven ODIs at an average of twenty one point six. So uh, he was pretty good. Interestingly, we mentioned his him destroying the England middle order in that World Cup final. That was sort of practically on top anyway, but that that basically ended the game, those two those two balls. He had his worst record against England, despite having played so much in England. He averaged thirty against England in Test cricket and uh, thirty five in ODI cricket. Um so that just goes to show that England is the greatest cricket team that has ever existed. If anyone conquered was him, it was England. Uh, in the 1990s, you look at uh, fast bowlers with at least 25 wickets. Three of the top five in terms of average are left-arm pacers, which is Bruce Reed at the top, uh, Brett Schultz, another left-arm paceman ruined by injury, and Wazim Akram, 
fifth with Ambrose and Sean Pollock uh, in between. The 1980s had only been five left arm bowlers with 25 wickets or more. There were eight in the 1990s, 14 in the 2000s, and there have been 12 this decade. How, I mean, was Macram, it, it's funny, I remember someone saying on Twitter recently that um, if, if you really look at his record, it was very, very good, but it wasn't like he was about to get a wicket every ball, which is the way that is now remembered now. But, for us, growing up in that era, he was like no other bowler. I mean, when I the only two bowlers I ever tried to bowl like in the backyard, you know, pace bowlers was was a Macram and Curtly Ambrose. Like, two very different bowlers to modern. Very years. bowlers, but but I, the idea of like was a Macram coming in with those tiny little steps and then being all shoulder and then just being able to bowl a delivery that just didn't make sense. The amount of times, even without reverse swing. Quite often, the amount of times in the middle of a one-day game, and people don't remember. How, I mean, if you think one-day cricket is boring now, the middle overs in the nineties, <laughs> and I wasn't even old enough for the eighties. I'm assuming that was worse. But the middle overs in the nineties were terrible. Was a macram meant that you had to watch the entirety of the game because you didn't know what he was going to do in that middle part of the game, and there would always, you know, the Alan Lamb, Chris Lewis delivery. It felt like every game he had a you know a delivery like that that just changed the comp- and they were never out of the game because of was a macro and that's more a one day thing but he also did similar things like that in test matches. Yes, there were well the particular 92 test series in England uh which was a really interesting series Pakistan won 2-1 with a um brilliant win at Lords in a really tight low scoring game and then they demolished England at the Oval and England won it headingly I think in between. Um and uh, Wacker and Wazim several times destroyed England when they were looking quite well set. And uh, the Oval was one of my favourite displays of team bowling. And I, it was one of the rare days I actually went to see Test cricket. And it was uh, at Wacker, Wazim, and then Mushtaq Ahmed came on bowling unreadable leg spin during his brief pomp as a as a Test leggy. Um, and th- yeah, there were times when there were a number of balls in that series and really throughout his career and particularly those two in the World Cup final, which was the, uh, which had been earlier that year. He could, he could have written to the batsman several months in advance and said, this is exactly what I'm going to bowl. And it would still have got them out. It's, it's quite interesting. As good as he was and. And I like the idea of him writing a letter and them still getting someone to deliver it. Yes, hand-delivered yeah. in the England dressing room. Um, but, but there was clearly something happening in cricket. I mean, he's a bit like the Gilchrist in that he was maybe the most obvious player, but Bruce Reed hadn't have been injured. He would have gone on to take three, 400 test wickets at a very low average. Um, Brett Schultz was probably, if he wasn't quicker than Akram, he was Close to as quick as Akram, a big burly guy, wasn't he? Um, he was an incredible bowler. Um, we then also had Chaminder Vass, who, and why I'm interested in Chaminder Vass is what the, the first test series I saw him, he must have been about 96 in Australia. Was it? Yeah, it must have been 96 in Australia. And he was bowling and all it, the whole series, Ian Chappell just kept saying, oh, he's a good bowler, this guy. Be a really good first change bowler. And what, the reason that's interesting to me is up until that point, left arm bowlers had been uh, quite exotic and whatever. Chaminder Vass is almost the first time that we started to see dour left arm bowling <laughs> and average left arm bowling. And, and, and he obviously went on to have a great career, but there wasn't any, there was no Wazim Akram or Bruce Reed um, type ability, or he wasn't quick like Brett Schultz. He, that was the point. Chaminder Vass is almost a more interesting 
I always want to take back the word interesting. But he's almost a more interesting development in left arm bowlers in that he was basically just a um, a very decently medium fast bowler rather than something exotic and wild and crazy. Not that he couldn't bowl the odd magic ball himself, but, you know, I don't know who who would he be like. It's sort of like a... Philander? Yeah, Philander, maybe a Damien Fleming type bowler that, you know, right arm bowling has had hundreds of Chimin devices up until that point, but realistically left arm bowling just never did. It had the odd magic bowler. And as you said, the odd bowler who, who appeared every now and again. And there's, you know, there's no reason to fetishize Vass. He was just really good at what he did. Just a quality seamer, um, you know, who I, I can't remember his record off the top of his head, but I'll look it up. 355 wickets at 29, which for an Asian bowler is, is quite a good average. But but I suppose because of Schultz and Reed and Akram all coming through and Mike Whitney, um, all coming through at that era, Mullally? Alan Alan Mullally, yeah. the corridor of unreachability. <laughs> we suddenly had a period where it seemed for the first time ever we did actually have a lot of left arm bowlers. And Wasam Akram is the one we focus on and we've obviously put all of our um, numbers around. But realistically, for whatever reason, from the 80s onwards, people started recognising left-arm bowling more and trying more left-arm bowlers. And I find that really interesting. Yes. Well, with with Voss, I guess, I mean, you, we talked about uh, Karsan Gavri of uh, of India. I more know, than I, anyone has. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, I never saw him, Bob, but he was left-arm medium. Yep. Uh, Trevor Goddard similarly. So maybe there were, you know, some precedents. For, I mean, what was fascinating about Voss is you would watch him and you think, well, there's really nothing, nothing of any interest there. And but he was clearly an incredible craftsman. Oh yeah, he never did well in England. But there was a the series England played in Sri Lanka when he got Atherton out about three or four times a match. I think. Yeah. Um, I th- LBW. Wait, wait, just let me check the stats. Was, yep. Yeah, three or four times about times yeah. per match. It's LBW, and you think he was bowling, I don't know, eighty miles an hour, but clearly had an amazing. Croft, as you said, on on uh, Asian pitches to be able to have the record that he did at his pace. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, fantastic. And he was a useful batsman. Another sort of one other one of these left arm seamers who was a tidy number eight as well. So I mean, was a Macram is the the play that we remember, but that whole era to me is what changed left arm bowling and is why we're in a position now where every bloody bowler is left arm. And I wonder if and there's been a lot of talk about how DRS has helped. Spinners. I wonder if it's helped left arm, left armers as well to get more LBWs. Because of the people have realised that there aren't so many balls pitched, or you know, more balls are pitching in line and hitting than maybe we thought before. Discuss. No, that's that's our job, isn't it? (laughs) Are you you waiting for someone to answer? I'm waiting for our, our listeners to sit down with exam papers. Andy, I think you're correct. Good. Right. The cricket sages tower. For when something about badminton just isn't enough. I'm going to talk about Dirk Nannis. And this is mostly about test bowling. But um, I think I think it's still, it still, it makes sense. Dirk Nannis was a 28, 29-year-old uh, businessman who owned a... Uh, at that stage, owned a company that um, was involved with um, skiing in Japan. And he would play club cricket. Um, in Melbourne, uh, quite often in the thirds or fourths, because he'd have to disappear mid-year to go off and I don't know what skiing people do, but ski the slopes. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, um, 
so he did that sort of thing, obviously almost qualified for Australia in the Olymp- Winter Olympics and all that sort of thing. And uh, as his career went on, someone sort of said to him, you know, Dirk, maybe if you played a whole season <laughs> of club cricket, you'd end up in the first and seconds and you'd have a chance. And so obviously he, he a couple of years there, he played cricket and then went on to uh, represent Australia and the Netherlands, uh, played maybe a couple of one days, but obviously played T20, got an IPL contract. And the main reason why it made sense for Dirk Nannis to bowl is because he bowled basically like Mitchell Johnson, but without maybe the um, understanding of what he was doing uh, when Dirk first started. He didn't really know. All Dirk knew how to do was bowl really quick, and people absolutely lost their mind. Batsmen were terrified of him. I remember watching Phil Hughes face him once, and um, Phil Hughes actually looked like he didn't want to be on the same ground as Dirk Nannis. And... There's a reason why a bowler like Dirk Nannis, who at 28, 29 can suddenly get a contract. That doesn't happen that often, although it happens more in Victoria than in other places. But very rarely do 28, 29 year olds start making their debut for Victoria. And that's because there actually aren't that many genuine left arm quick bowlers in the whole history of the game. There aren't that many people who bowl genuinely quick. And I think it's why Bozemakram made it such a big impression as well. It's why Brett Schultz would have if he'd, if he'd stayed on the pitch. So, and it's probably why uh, your man Bill Vos um, was quite handy as well. So, my theory is... I've got another name to throw oh, there, Jared. Another left arm quick? Fred Morley. Oh. Five wickets at the Oval in 1880, reputedly the fastest bowler in England. So, um, so and it? then on the way to Australia for the first ever Ashes series, 1882-83, they were involved in a boat crash... Uh, on the way from Colombo to Australia, uh, he broke a load of ribs, um, never recovered his form, got ill and died of dropsy about 18 months later. That's a horrible story, but they did end up with a lot of chicken stores called Morley, which I'm assuming is in his honour. Must be in his honour. But he was, he was by repute the fastest bowler in England around about 1880. How often do you think, have we ever had a situation where the fastest bowler in the world has been left arm? Is my question. Since then. In the, <laughs> since Fred Morley. <laughs> um, well, Johnson was the quickest, I would think. Yep. St- Starks there and thereabouts. Yeah. It, my point is, it's very rare, even at the top level of cricket, to face a genuine left-arm quick bowler. And so when you play junior cricket, so let's say let's say you were talented and you were coming up through the Kent... <laughs> Hang on, I'm sorry. I mean, I have quite a lively imagination, but this is really stretching it, Jared. <laughs> you come up through the Kent Leagues and you face a bunch of young quick bowlers, almost all of which are right arm. Occasionally, there's a left arm bowler there. It's the same when you play school cricket, um, it, it all the way through. It's really not until you get to professional level that you start to face a higher percentage of left arm quick bowlers because anyone who's left arm and quick basically gets pushed through the system and ends up at, at professional level because there's in, in club cricket, it's very rare to face more than one good left arm quick bowler at a time and even have one quick bowler. So your entire life. So young Andy Zaltzman, the superstar batsman of, uh, what club were you from? The, the mighty Pentos Park cricket club. The, the, uh, whatever that was it's called. Just a level below county standard. So you come up and you've set up your, your batting triggers. Um, oh, yeah. Your, yeah. <laughs> your footwork. Well, batting triggers are putting your pads on and walking out to the middle. For that. <laughs> and, and essentially everything you've, you've thought about as a, as a batsman at that point is facing right arm bowling. 
and then you get to the top level and Dirk Nana strolls in off a, off a, uh, I was going to say, out of a ski villa <laughs> and starts bowling 90, 90, I mean, at his best, he was probably around 95 miles an hour, Dirk Nana's left arm quick at you. It's a completely different thing and you need completely different skills. And it goes back to the Graham Swan thing of like facing a short ball from a left arm bowler is not like facing a short ball from a right arm bowler. Facing was a macram coming around the wicket to you is not like anything that you've ever faced before. And I think that's a part of the reason why left arm bowlers have had slightly more success is that there's left of, less of them out there. And a lot of this, I think, is that we've had a lot of left arm orthodox bowlers and we've had a lot of left-handed batsmen. But I think to be a left-arm orthodox bowler or to be a left-handed batsman, you don't necessarily need to be a pure left a left-handed person. I think to be a left-arm quick bowler, you probably need to be legitimately left-handed. Right. Does that make sense? That, I'm not a scientist, Jared. Um, but it makes but, sense? Unlike your good self. <laughs> but yeah, that does... Uh, there is something... Now, here's a, here's a, a stat that might be related uh, to this. Looking at um, teams... Uh, batting against right arm pace and left arm pace since uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. So this this uh, this millennium when left arm has become inc- increasingly prominent. Um, England average uh, better against uh, right arm than left. Average 34 uh, against right arm fast bowlers. 31 against left arm fast bowlers. So they had trouble with Trent Bolt, Mitchell Johnson, uh, various others. India average 33 against. Right-handers, they average forty-four against left-arm pacers. That is interesting. Pakistan averaged thirty against right right-arm pacers, thirty-eight against left-arm pacers, and they've uh, both had quite a lot of left-armers in their teams over the years. So you wonder if they get more practice against it. That's interesting. So then, yeah. uh, India had uh, Zahir Khan, Ashish Nehra, Irfan um, uh, Pathan, um, and Pakistan has discussed had a load of left armers. So I wonder if there's an set against that New Zealand average slightly less against left armers than uh, than uh, than right armers. But I wonder if there's and Australia's the set thirty nine against both left and right arm. Bangladesh basically the same. Um, yeah, but there's but there's a really no- noticeable gap for India and Pakistan that may be coincidence and maybe because they have been practicing against their own left armers. That is actually legitimately interesting. <laughs> but I've got I've got some other stats about the rise of left-arm bowlers. So I've already said why I think it's harder for batsmen at the top level to face them in general, which is why they end up at the top level a lot of the time as well. Um, 12% of society, as we, as we sit here today, is left-handed. I don't know who did that uh, survey. I don't know how we know it. But um, 12% seemed to be the number that was most commonly used on, on, on Wikipedia. <laughs> um <laughs> But in 1880, when tests started, 2% of the society were left-handed. And in 1920, it was 4%. So we are actually, as because I think now people aren't forced which hand to write with. Battered out of them as children. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things I read, which goes against India having lots of left-arm bowlers and, and, well, actually, India, Sri Lanka and um, Pakistan having uh, access to left-arm bowlers, is that um, apparently the Asian languages are very, very hard to write left-handed. That well, is maybe something that, if you are left-handed, then it improves your hand skills as you learn. Because you're write. trying to write. Because it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't write Tamil in left hand or right hand, but I'm assuming that if it's the, it, it looks hard to write to begin with. It looks fun to write. Oh, it's a great, it's a beautiful. Well, yeah, it looks amazing. It's one of, I, I no, I'm, I'm not going to say it's one of my favorite. It's definitely my favorite, um, uh, 
visual language. <laughs> I'm glad we've got to that point of this this cricket podcast. But essentially, yeah. So I I think you know there is a certain there is an upswing in the amount of left arm bowlers in the world, and I don't think it's just was a macram and just cricket realizing this. I think there are just more left hand people than we've ever had before. Yes, pure left hand. People allowed to grow up as left-handed. Sorry, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Look at you. You were beaten as a child. <laughs> oh you? no, no. My, my parents were entirely happy with my choice to be left-handed. It was your. Pe- it was the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little bit more science for you, but before we get to the science, so in the last five years of top-level T20 um, cricket in the power play, ten of the best twenty bowlers in the world, and by that I mean lowest economy because it's T20, are left arm. Um, in uh, basically, left-arm bowlers in T20 cricket seem to be even more valued than they do in Test cricket. And there's something else quite interesting that um, there was a, a study, and I'm, there's actually, I think there's been a few studies on um, sport and left-handedness. I can't find the name of the study, but it was a study by sports scientist Florian Loffing. It's a good name. Um, who who looked into sports and they That's said good, good thing for a sports scientist to look into, Jay. <laughs> which is which is handy. Which is handy. Kept his focus on the game. So after after looking at the numbers, Loffing reported that he found a pattern where in sports where there's a short time constraint, left handers appeared to excel. He found for example in squash, um left handers weren't as dominant, whereas in sports like baseball, they, they certainly were. In uh table tennis 26% of the top male um, players were left-handed. And so in table tennis, baseball, and cricket, you were 2.6 times as likely to have a top left-hander as in other sports. Right. There you go. Obviously, doesn't mean that you as a left-hand batsman have any advantage over uh, Ricky Ponting. <laughs> well, we don't know that. We've never played in the same team. True. But in general, I think as a population, it's saying that there is an advantage. to the, Basically, what I'm saying is I read this study and I'm teaching both my sons to bat left-hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in golf, there have been very few uh, top left-handed players. Is that because it's hard to find clubs? I think. Well, I think that is part of it as... You know, if you're wanting to try as a child, the fact that there aren't many people with left-handed clubs might be a factor. But um, there have been very few uh, major players who have been left-handed in golf. And so I suppose... Which obviously is a sport that does not require cat-like reflexes. Do you know what I mean? And you're not up against someone there either there, which is, I think, one of the things that they were saying in, in this study. But basically, um, there's, I think there's a lot of different reasons. So it's... It's easy to fixate on Moza Macron because he's awesome. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of different reasons why left-arm bowlers are getting better um, and are taking over the game. And and I think especially in T20 cricket where your reaction time, you, you've got to react even quicker because you've you've got to hit a sixth rather than nudge a ball to cover. <laughs> um, and I think I can see why left-arm bowlers would be even more important in, in, in that stage. And I think the general angles too, like left-arm um, finger spinners, don't have a lot of tricks, but they quite often have really low economy rates in T20 cricket. And I think, yet again, a lot of that is to do with the angle that they have, not just that they're spinning the ball away from right-handers, um, but those sorts of things definitely do help. But it's 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 very interesting that, that basically um, left-armers are dominating almost every form of cricket at the moment. And con- considering beforehand, it was um, Fred Morley on his own. <laughs> are you outside cricket? Oh. Then you have no business here. 
Are left-arm bowlers in modern cricket better than right-arm bowlers? No. I like that. Yeah. I don't think they're better. Um, but, uh, yeah, they are currently, as discussed earlier on, uh, enjoying a period of prominence. And there's no reason to think that period of prominence will will end for other reasons, as discussed, that they're you know, left-handedness is no longer punished with being burnt at the stake or having your arm chopped off. You've got so many issues. Look at you. (laughs) Show show me all your scars from teachers beating your knuckles. Um, So, well, this this decade, well, as I mentioned this stat earlier on, left-arm pacers have a 3.1% advantage in average over right-arm pacers. So they are better. (laughs) They are, but but, yeah, that's... uh, it's not a massive jump. It's not a massive. So left arm fast, averaging thirty one point naught this decade. Right arm fast, thirty one point nine nine. So that, that's actually. I mean, it's only three percent, but that that's a significant difference, I would think, uh, between the two. It wouldn't yes. make me think. But I've got to pick another left yeah. armer. But but that might be just because there's been Mitchell Johnson, Trent Bolt. Um, whether it's Significant, uh, signifying a broader trend. You overlook Neil Wagner. And Neil, Neil Wagner. Well, I mean, I say it's the age of Wagner. That goes as red now. It'll be viewed by. We had the what the Pliocene era, and you know, the Wag the Wagnerian era. We're in now. Uh, we talked about in billions of years to come. Um, but I mean, Wagner's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because he again is not a bowler that does magic with the ball, and he's not fast so I got in a lot of trouble so I, re- I compared him to Muhammad Amir recently in a yeah. piece and basically saying that he was like a pickup truck that couldn't go beyond third gear um, but has an incredible record people got very upset but I meant that in a good way because he has no discernible um, skills that he's not incredibly fast he doesn't move the ball sideways a lot and he's not an incredible setup bowler like Vernon Philander and yet he takes wickets everywhere he basically bowls uh, medium fast short balls at people and yells at them and gets wickets, <laughs> which I find incredible. Like what you know, he he's cracked code, you know, and and so I love Neil Wagner, but I can understand why other people may not share my love. Uh, well, he's a, he's a really interesting bowler from that point of view, and particularly yeah, if he bowled the same way right-handed, I think it wouldn't be nearly as effective, would it? I don't think so. I think the angle really helps yeah. him, and I think I think you know, in terms of effectiveness, he's. Uh, and his stats are amazing as well. He's, oh, you know, well. He's, his, his record's pretty similar. It's a little bit better than Bolt. Yeah, I think um, he's averaged less than, than Bolt over the last two yeah. and a half years. He's certainly better than yeah. Southie. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. So the fact that we have so many left-arm bowlers, I don't think we can just say that the numbers are favouring them because we've had Mitchell Johnson and Trent Bolt. Because, to be fair, right-arm bowling's had Dale Stain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, true. Um, uh yeah, so my, well, I, I think there's clearly a generation of very effective left arm left arm bowlers. England have slightly missed out on this. We had um, Sam Curran make, make his Test debut earlier this summer. He was the first since since Ryan Sidebottom played his last. Uh, Do you think he'll take three or four hundred Test wickets? Six or seven, I think. Six or but, seven wickets. But, but again, <laughs> I mean, we, we see this. You know, as soon as he bowled half a delivery, people were saying, "Oh, he's too slow and he's too short." And then you think, well, Jamin Navas did all right with those two attributes. So, uh, but we'd love to make massive snap judgments. Oh, as he was running up, I I said he he was finished. (laughs) In fact, he put his marker down in a way that just to me showed that he could not take test wickets. 
But we're obsessed with pace in this country. It's almost like we've... I think everyone's obsessed with pace. We've never seen Vernon Philander bowl. Whenever he come, we switch off our televisions and think, nah, we have nothing to learn from this. We've got to be bowling 90 miles an hour from 12 feet in the air. Yeah. Well, if, if, if Jamie Porter was only... Six inches taller, left arm. He would have already. He would have already yeah. played eighty tests for yeah. England. It's almost like we've also never seen Anderson bowls. <laughs> anyway, hello, I'm the late former Australian captain Herbie Horseshoe Collins, and this is Cricket's Saddest Hour. Sorry, the Cricket's Saddest Hour. My mistake. Andy, yes. Uh, what percentage of left arm seam would Bradman have faced compared to? Um, Steve Smith, Coley, those sorts of guys. A low percentage, Gary. <laughs> we don't have the full... And it, I want an exact... Well, I can tell you, during the course of his career, uh, only around about 5 to 6% of deliveries would have been left arm seam. And only about 10% of those, of fast bowling was, was left arm. Over the course of Bradman's career, he played 19 tests in England... And in only three of them did England have a left arm fast bowler, uh, or seam bowler even. Uh, Nobby Clark. Nobs. Played two tests in 1934, taking, uh, he took five for 98 at, at the Oval in 1934 in a game Australia won comfortably. Um, and, uh, Alan Watkins of Glamorgan played in Bradman's last ever test. Watto. Watto, uh, but as, Famously, Bradman did not get as far as facing him for two reasons. One, that he was out second ball, and two, that Watkins was already uh, injured and out of the attack by that time. So, two te- uh, but tw- only twice did he face a left arm, left arm pacer in England. Uh, he faced Vos in 10 tests in Australia. Uh, Vos took 35 wickets in those games at an average of uh, 27, which is pretty tidy. He faced Neville Quinn of South Africa in the 1931 32 series, uh, Quinn got him out and Bradman said he was a, he, his pace off the wicket he found very difficult. Um, but basically that was it in terms of left arm paces that, uh, so, si- so 6% of the deliveries of his era, comp- and if, if you're Smith or Coley, what percentage of it would it be? Uh, Smith or Coley, <clears throat> well, it's been this decade, uh, it's 11.6% by left arm fast bowlers. So it's doubled. Uh, yeah, close to 20% of all pace deliveries are by left armers now. So Bradman, had he played in this era, would have really struggled as well. He'd have averaged mid-20s, I think. Yeah. He, he would have been essentially uh, like James Vince, but less pretty to watch. <laughs> um, so 23 bowlers have taken over 300 wickets since Akram's debut. Of those 23, four are left-arm quicks and only two are left-arm spinners. So basically, left-arm bowling has inverted, even even more so, because before there were no left-arm quicks and there was heaps of left-arm finger spinners. Um, so it's quite interesting how much that has changed. But I think my favourite thing to notice how much cricket has changed was when Pakistan came here last time. So it was that 2016? Yeah. And they had an all-left-arm seam bowling thing and everyone went, are there too many left? Are there too many left arms in this attack? <laughs> Almost oblivious to the fact that our entire lives we've had to watch three, four, five <laughs> right arm bowlers bowl seam over and over again. And suddenly there were three left arm bowlers. Everywhere. Is it? Is it too many left arm bowlers? Uh, is there too many left arm bowlers in modern cricket? Probably, but get over it. Mike Whitney <laughs> is awesome. This is the age of Wagner. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Goodbye. This is the cricket sadist hour. Sponsored by the human race.
planet Earth's number one species. If you have enjoyed this podcast, uh, please leave a review on iTunes or share it on social medias or, I don't know, just play it in your grandmother's ear as much as possible. Play it on public transport at the loudest possible volume. Uh, and, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more nonsense. Mm-hmm.